Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 26 minutes now to nine. The time time for your Mediated Conversation this Tuesday morning. Over the last few weeks, once again, there's been strong suggestions that government needs to implement a major basic income grant in a bid to first help millions of people with no income and secondly to try and stimulate the economy. To oversimplify the argument, it sort of goes that if more people have more money, through a grant, they would spend that money and thus create demand, which would lead to more people being employed and thus the economy would create more jobs and so it would grow. But to do all that, first government would need more money. It would need the money to pay the grant in the first place. So the question then becomes where would that money come from? And if you did increase taxes to pay for it, what would you increase? Would you increase VAT? Because everybody pays VAT. But that means the poor are paying more tax than they're paying now. Or could you increase income taxes because richer people pay higher income taxes? But that might mean that they have less money to spend in the economy themselves. So then, what would work, what would not? Now, I should tell you, in my experience of this, this is incredibly contested among people who study and write about economics, and there are many different views. So first this morning, you'll hear the case for a bigger income, ba- bigger basic income grant and how it could be implemented. Duret Kubulep will speak for himself, but in the past he has supported the idea of higher levels of government spending. He's an independent economist. Then you'll hear from the tax expert, Professor Keith Engel. He's the CEO of the South African Institute of Taxation. We'll ask him about what taxes you could increase and what taxes you couldn't all really, I suppose, to put it in another way. What would happen if you increase VAT? What would happen if you increase income taxes on the middle classes and the rich? And then, is all of this workable or not? Dr. Lumkile Mondi is a senior lecturer at the School of Economics and Business Science at Wits University. We start then with the independent economist Duma Kubule. Duma, good morning. Thanks for your time. Hi, Stephen. I like your introduction about the basic income grant stimulating the economy. Yes, um, but the second part I don't agree with it because I believe that the, we must allow it to rip through the economy. We, we have a desperate economic crisis. GDP per capita has not grown for 15 years and the forecast is that it will continue not to grow for another three years. By 2025, we will not have had GDP per capita will be lower than it was in 2007. So we can't continue like this. So we need to something to shock the system through providing income to the people. But on its own, it is not sustainable. So my version of the basic income grant is different to what you see elsewhere. Yeah, but anyway. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. Just just to clarify, um, uh, income per capita means how much income, how much money each person has. It means income per head. So in other words, what you're saying is that if you look at South Africa as an average, each individual South African has not got richer for 15 years. Yes, yeah, yeah, on average, yeah, yeah. It's an imperfect measure of, um, um, you know, average living standards. Because, yeah, but, but that's basically what it is, yeah, that we, 15 years, we're standing in the same yeah, position yeah. and it's going to get worse over the next three years. We can't continue like this. We have to do something to get this economy going. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what would you suggest? And I realize they're different things. Some of them do hinge around a basic income grant. Some of them look at funding it through tax. Some of them look at it, uh, I think you suggested, funding it through reserves from the Reserve Bank, etc. Yes, yes. So um, I did work for the Social Policy Initiative, um, a friend of your show, and um, we, we modeled different versions of the basic income grant. So what we didn't want to do was to tax it away because um, that reduces the stimulus to the economy. So we says, no, we must let it rip through the economy and then it must provide a first stimulus to this economy 
it must be implemented over three years. There are two elements of it. It's a basic income grant for adults. And then the second part of it, it so that's build, building upon the social relief of distress grant. So the social relief of distress grant would go from 350 to 760, which is the first poverty line. And then the second one would be for the child support grant, which would go from 505 to 760. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that that would provide the first stimulus to the economy it would not be funded through taxes because taxes would reduce. Now, let me just quickly explain this. There are so many ways we as a country can fund this thing without resorting to taxes. Number one, we have a central bank which can finance economic development. I don't care what Lesitja Khanyaho says, it happens throughout the world. During the COVID crisis, um, the global stimulus was $17 trillion. 75% of that was financed by central banks creating money to support the economies. In the UK, 97% of the £350 billion stimulus was financed by the Bank of England. In the Eurozone, it was 83%. That's number one. Number two, we have a huge SA Inc. balance sheet of about $5 trillion. I'll start at the bottom. In April this year, the government had had cash of 226 billion. So we must not believe the scare stories that you see in the media that the government can be broke. They had cash of 226 billion. Number two, the UIF in during COVID we created 60 billion rand out of thin air by running down the surplus in the unemployment insurance fund to pay 13 million people who are temporarily unemployed because of the pandemic. Now, after we've paid 60 billion rand from that surplus that we did not need as a country, um, we still have in that kitty 110 billion rand. That's number two. Number three, our government employment pension fund, you know, standard bank, you know, a bank, you know, it has to, or SABC, I would assume, has to ha have a fully funded pension fund because SABC can go bust and they'd have to pay all the employees at SABC today and um, the pension on the same day. But there is no scenario in the world where we can have a situation where the government will have to pay 1.3 million pensions on the same day. So throughout the world, public sector pensions are not fully funded. Now, ours is 110% funded, which is extreme compared to other OECD countries. And it's 400 billion rand above the target that was set by the trustees. And we have accumulated surpluses over the past decade of 525 billion rands in this unnecessary surpluses in this government employees pension okay. fund. That's the third thing. Yeah. So okay. there are many things. And then finally, Stephen, I just want to say, I don't know where South Africans get this thing that our debt is high. Our debt is not high by international standards, even if you benchmark it against emerging market peers. I don't understand where people get it. And they say, okay, Duma, we agree with you, um, but the cost of capital, but the Reserve Bank as well can control the cost of capital and take over the bond markets to reduce cost of capital, as happens in countries throughout the world. So the cost of capital is something that we can control. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so, Duma, I'm sorry. Um, I, I understand the, the, the passion. I appreciate the passion in this. Um, there has been, uh, there are other people um, on the same side of the argument with uh, as you, um, but they want to fund it differently. They look at taxes, for example. They talk about a wealth tax. Um, would that work? I mean, the idea of a progressive tax is that the more you earn, the more you pay, and that means that that money then goes to people who are poorer than you. Um, would a wealth tax sort yes, of put, would a wealth tax be something that you would add to what we have now? 
Oh, yes, 100%. Yeah. So now the wealth tax, you see that wealth tax is for the top 0.1% or the top 1%. These are people who don't spend the money in the economy, but you and I spend the money in the economy. So, yes, we must have a wealth tax. There's other ways that have been talked about, like, um, uh, you know, f- financial flows, you know, like, um, what's it called? There's a financial transactions tax you know th- those things don't affect um the spending money of ordinary people you know currency transactions you know there's a global movement for that so yes i would support uh, taxes that skim at the top of the income distribution but these ones are very complex to implement and it's not something that you can implement on day one you know just what i'm saying it takes time to but definitely that should be part of the thing but those things we need to reduce inequality in south africa as well you know so it's not just about that yeah sure. yeah Dumit thank you very much indeed i know you're passionate on this there will be more opportunities i promise the independent economist thank you for your time 17 minutes to nine the time continue immediate conversation around these calls for bigger social grants and how it could be done Professor Keith Engel is the Chief Executive Officer of the South African Institute of Taxation, an expert on tax. Professor Engel, good morning. Morning. There are different taxes. So companies pay tax. There's income tax. There's VAT. I mentioned VAT specifically because everyone pays VAT. Um, What kind of proportion, rough figures are fine, please, do we get from different sectors? So where does most of the government money come from? Well, I think it comes in three chunks. It comes in personal income tax, and VAT are the largest segments, followed by the corporate income tax. But the corporate income tax is volatile based on the economy. Then you get a bit on customs, then you get a bit elsewhere. But that's like less than 5%. Your big three pools are VAT, PIT, VAT, and then corporate. Those are your main. So, So personal income tax is a big chunk of it? Yes, it's a big chunk. So you'll find that really the, the the middle and what you define that some people define as rich is really international middle they're really bearing about 80 percent of the charge okay so it's the, the problem is is that you know we, we talk about progressivity but you know the progressivity kicks in at a very low rate and so you're really hitting the middle and the lower middle you're not hitting the rich Okay, I'm going to come back to all of this in a minute. There's some talk of raising VAT. I don't know where the idea comes from, but raising VAT by two percentage points. Would that bring in a lot of money for the economy? And the reason that might be attractive to some people is everybody pays VAT. No, I agree. I think the easy money and the quick money is to raise the VAT. But when you raise the VAT, you'll get the money quickly. But now you're taking money out of the economy, which undermines the whole point of an economic stimulus for the social grant. That's why your prior speaker was saying taxing means only undoing what you're taking out and putting back. It puts you neutral. But the problem then is, of course, everybody's affected. And then really, you're going to be hitting ANC voters. So you're going to be very unpopular for that for a few. And it undermines the political benefit. Okay, then personal income tax. If you increase, if you tax, as you describe what you say, the middle and the rich more, many people see that as a good idea. Many people oppose it from a tax point of view. Is there a lot more money to get there for government? Well, that was the problem. I think they've tried that already and they've pushed it up. Remember, our rates are 45%. Those are the same as Zimbabwe. So you're looking at our rates. Our personal income tax rates are very high. Now, the only place you can get away with that is in Europe where you're getting a lot of social benefits. Here, we're not getting those social benefits. 
So 45 is quite high. You start hitting a 50% line, you know, it starts becoming very difficult. And remember, the rates are kicking in very early. So if you're at a 45% rate, okay, maybe you want to increase it to 48 for the super rich. But when you're talking about taxing the super rich and income tax, you're not going to get enough money. That's the problem. And that's why they made some increases, dividends tax, and they went after personal tax. But the Treasury stopped. They said, we're not getting the money we expect. There's not enough. And you find that people start fighting it more. And you're also seeing uh, grounds for immigration. And that a lot of this money becomes very, uh, once you're very rich, you become very flexible. So the money is, there's not enough money there on a sustainable basis. Okay. Um, I suppose the question would be, why not? I mean, why, why? We know that people are rich. Why can't we just tax yeah. them more, if you see what I mean? What are, are there sort of technical reasons that you're suggesting that make it hard to get that money? Well, I think that, you know, when we're talking about the rich, they are trying to tax the rich more. And the plan has been to make sure they enforce the laws better. So you're seeing that, you know, even last week in Arundaba, the discussion that SARS continues to push is we're trying to collect the people who are not paying. So one of the concerns that SARS has is we have to do better at getting the illegal segment, because if you keep raising the rates on the legal, you know, that undermines tax morality. But the bottom line is when we talk about rich and the Gini coefficient, oftentimes we're comparing the middle and the upper middle to the poor. When you're looking at the top 1%, that amount is that amount there is what you really want to get if you're going to redistribute. And unfortunately, there isn't enough of that money around. Even though it's big sums, it's not enough to support a universal income grant. There just isn't enough money there. And that's why people are going back to the VAT, because that's the quick and big money. There's a thing called, and I don't understand what this is, but it's called a Laffer curve. And yeah. uh, whenever this conversation comes up about taxing the rich more, someone says, yeah. but what about the Laffer curve? What on earth is that? Yeah. yeah, the Laffer curve is this, and I think it's overused and misstated. The Laffer curve says for every you know, percentage increase, you're actually getting less. So let's say I increase the rates to 70%. There comes a point where people just say, I'm going to start evading and avoiding, and I'm going to do everything that I can get out of the tax. So usually that's a much higher rate, um, where the rate, when you raise the rate, you actually lose money. But that argument is overstated. The real thing what they're stating is something done by the Carter Commission, where taxes start looking confiscatory, where you start saying it's actually equal to expropriation. So when you raise rates more than 50%, where I give more than half of my money to government and I keep less than half, there is a feeling at that point that government is stealing from me. You know, there comes a point where, yes, I understand I have a social obligation, but to take more money than I actually keep, that's what people are resisting emotionally. And, and that it's a slightly different thing. But the Laffer curve is you actually lose money if you raise the rates because of avoidance and evasion. But that's at a 70% line and people do get confused. And then a wealth tax. So the idea of Dumit Kobula yeah. was suggesting a sort of transaction tax or a property yeah. tax might be, you know, if you have a yeah. second home, yeah. you have to pay a lot more. Would that bring in some money? I mean, that would seem uh, an easy thing to do relatively. Well, I think, look, it'll bring in some money. We haven't really looked at that. Some people push very hard on property taxes. One nice thing about property taxes is that, um, you know, they can't run away. It, it's there. Um, the difficulty on the property tax, is there enough money? It's going to take time. So one of the things, if you want to do it this year, that's why people are pushing for VAT, is that if you want to get the money now, 
the, when you're putting in a new tax system, it's going to take two, three years to implement. But there has been a push for increasing property taxes. But then what's it used for? Property taxes are really used for the local governments. So now you're quoting out the local government money. So if you're going to do it, it really is for local government support. So that's, that's usually why that gets jammed up. And again, a lot of, a lot of property is owned by government. So how much money? I don't think we have actually done a good assessment on that one. So that would mean if you're paying rates to a council, which is effectively a tax on the property, you're paying tax twice for the same thing. That's right. And you're pay- And the, the problem really is, is that the municipalities don't have enough money. So property taxes really should be left to the municipalities. Um, I think the money is really allocated elsewhere. That, that's the problem with that. Um, I think the difficulty we have here really is, is that we've really tapped out most of our legal resources. You know, people think, well, magically, you know, I can, if I create a new name for tax, I can get more money. But really, you're taking a lot of money out of people, middle and upper middle. Yes, there might be some small sets of rich, but a lot of the rich, it's about illegal. And, you know, we just don't have that money. Their economy is too small. That is the problem. And so whenever you tax, you end up affecting the middle and the upper middle if, you, if you're lucky. Um, and that's really what you're hitting. But it's very rare that you get the rich. You just don't get enough out of them. There aren't enough of them, and they have too many schemes to avoid and evade. And then they immigrate. There's another issue around what I suppose you would call um, once-off taxes. So you want a once-off yeah. tax for this. I recall uh, in the dim recesses of my mind, there was a once-off tax, I think, to pay for the elections in 1994. So that would have been a very long mm. time ago. I'm not aware of yeah. others since then. Could a once-off tax be used if, for example, government says, we're going to take more money, we're going to use it for this, and this is why? Is that something that can work? Well, I, I guess if you want to raise rates, it might get a little bit for one year. The problem is when you're talking about social grants and all of that, you're ta- and NHI, you're talking about perpetual income needs. That's the difficulty. They want recurring income. So if you raise it, most people know what you're trying to do, and they'll say, look, you're just trying to raise it perpetually. And oftentimes there's a fear if it's one year, it becomes two, and the trust in government has fallen off. So I'm not really sure sure what that does maybe if you want to fund an energy project maybe that would work but it would have to be directed directly to capital if you want to get the buy-in and i imagine a once-off tax is actually quite expensive to implement because you're not setting up a process to do it every year you're setting up a process to do one thing once that's right so the way those usually go is like a surcharge we'll have an income tax surcharge of five percent which is really just an increase in income tax or we'll have a vat surcharge of two percent which is really increasing the vat so if you're going to do the the one-offs they're usually simple surcharges and they're really disguised rate increases that's what they are Um, it doesn't make sense to have a whole complicated thing like we used to have the tax on retirement funds and you know, then that created a lot of problems that became perpetual. But once you have a system, you've got to create it legislatively, and then SARS has got to enforce, and that becomes very expensive. And it also takes a year or two. And if you want things to happen in a year, you want them to happen in a year. So that's where they are. I think the thing that what you saw your the first person's discussion was he's hoping the Reserve Bank will save him with pockets of money. The problem is when he's referring to certain pockets of money, these are one-off amounts. The second thing that's there is really we're talking about inflation. Yes, the world dumped in a lot of money. They printed. And now what you're seeing in the United States and Europe and Canada is a massive amount of inflation. And that's what people are really very angry about. Just go on the YouTubes on that. 
Professor Keith Engel. And that hurts them. Indeed. Professor Keith Engel, really appreciate the time. Chief Executive Officer at the South African Institute of Taxation. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 104.3 FM in Rustenburg. Well, unfortunately, unable to get to our third guest for your mediated conversation this morning. Uh, We weren't able to get through to them. Sorry about that. But there is a much bigger conversation, as you can imagine, around funding uh, big increases in government spending. But very interesting to hear both the case for it from Duwak Trubele and, of course, uh, from Professor Keith Engel a little earlier. And, of course, there will be big um, and quite interesting debates, I suspect, to come around all of that. Well, I'm going to take my old notebook and go and make sure that my new one is ready in my little cabinet somewhere. Uh, We will be back with you tomorrow from Zilma Stunza and do myself look after yourself.